Hey, welcome to Minor Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. And we are two industrial designers in the big city. Sweating the small stuff. <laughs> oh dear, James. Oh. It's uh we're not sweating today. It's starting to get a little chilly outside. It is. Do you Cut. think do you think this will be the year where I finally purchase a proper winter coat? I certainly hope so, for your own well being. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had a winter coat since I moved to New York. I had it like a, a light jacket. That's, you didn't even have like proper footwear when you first moved to New York. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I had to put bags around my vans. Yeah, when I know. It I remember because I told you to do it. <laughs> you, um, uh, but yeah, we are we are currently recording. We got some new recording methods. Yeah, we're going re- on recording through a, a webcam that's hooked up to the computer. So hopefully, neither of them crash the computer or the webcam. Yeah, it's got this nice fisheye effect. So yeah. I feel like if you're I'm watching in the a, YouTube. Uh, 90s Busta Rhymes music video. We're about to do a skate skateboard trick video. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. 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 Let's get... Uh, what's his name on here? Tony Hawk? Well, no. Who's the Instagrammer that we shouted out? Oh, Matt uh, Tomasello? Matt. Yeah. Is that, is, is that it? Yeah, that was like... I don't know. That was way back. In the teens, episode teens. Wouldn't it be great if just during one of our episodes, he he did a grind across... The front of the the table. The table. <laughs> we can probably put that in a post, right? I think so. Yeah, but uh, how you been, man? Not too bad. We, we we haven't done too much. I mean, we we went to the Core Seven Seven conference. That's which, that's a big thing. That's the that's today's episode. That is today's episode, which we'll get to. Nice little recap for you. But uh, yeah, I'm just working on finalizing the helicopter poster. Right. Right. Um. So I think that revision should be done soon. I should be finalizing everything and soon, soon, hopefully within the next week. So this, so we're announcing this before it'll be before next pod. No, I don't think before next pod. Okay, but soon. But get, soon. Get, get ready. Put it on your calendars. Yes. So that's that's my only update. What about you, Nick? Um. Yeah. Been been just working on some client work. Uh. I have been working a little bit on my familiarism. Yeah. Article document, whatever you want to call it. And. Um, what, what have you determined? What, have, well, what are you revising? Well, uh, if you if you forgot, um, familiarism was this idea that I kind of discovered back in school and had we had an episode on it. Mm-hmm. I think it was our design philosophies. You can go back and listen to it if you it missed it. But um, I got pretty, uh, I got roasted on the Core Saving Seven forums for posting about it. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm going back and I'm revising it. I'm really uh, running it through the the paces and you know putting it up against any kind of design that I see might have familiarism in it. Uh huh. Um, and the idea of familiarism is just taking a familiar interaction and putting it with a incongruous object, an object that wouldn't have that interaction, and combining them, and that combination creates a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just really tried to refine the definition a bit and also list a bunch of good examples. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting closer to it, to a more of a robust document. The first document I wrote in like two hours and I was like, oh, I got to write this really quick. <laughs> this one I've been really contemplating and thinking on. Yeah. And what have you discovered? What have you uncovered? Or well, do we just have to wait? I mean, we can we can definitely talk about it when I finish. But also there's a few things that I've noticed so far is like, I don't think familiarism is a way to create a better design. Mm. I think it's a way to create a unique experience or a new right. design right? or a novel experience, but it's not an improved thing, right. which is something that I, I realized like in, you know, thinking about the course, Save Simon conference too, we can get in far, get in a little deeper, but um, you know, like familiarism isn't like pushing the ball down the field. It's like taking a sidestep and seeing, right. Oh, is there a new path this way? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting thing because it's it's definitely something that I've been thinking about recently. It's like there are some brands that I feel, and I'm maybe going to call OXO out a little bit here, where I feel like there is such a push towards utilitarianism mm. that it, for me, some of, like, I won't say that it, this is every OXO design, but there are a lot that I feel like miss the mark as being something that people connect with on a deeper level because the utility is so is such like the driver right that 
like where's where's the like the beauty where's the where's the surprise where's the you know it's just like it is just kind of something that oh this works really nice yeah i mean i i definitely think there's a balance to it but what i've discovered is that familiarism often detracts detracts from functionality like it detracts from the optimal functionality. Right. Which is interesting. Like you wouldn't think like, oh, let's make this thing harder to use. Right. Like that's not a designer thing to thing to think. But yeah. I don't know. I, I'm still exploring it. I'm still refining it. And hopefully I'll get a, a new revision out in yeah. about a month or so probably. But yeah. that it, it does beg the question, is optimal functionality the goal? The goal. Like should it be the goal? I mean for certain brands, yes. But for others, like... Like, you know, I don't know that that is a good question to ask, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think we should definitely talk about that, too, because I know uh, one of the speakers at the Course 87 conference talked about that. Yeah. Um, but before that, uh, a few more updates. Square One is this week, if you're listening to this uh, in a timely manner. Oh, right. We right, aren't going right, right. to be there, unfortunately. We are not going to be there. But I know that there will be people that listen to the podcast. Actually, there's probably people listening right now on their way to Square One. Yeah. That'll be there. Um, on their way to Square One? Like taking the Oregon Trail? Yeah, yeah. From Monday until Friday? I mean, you know, to, some of those... When, what, are, what are the dates? Uh, I believe it's going to be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, 17th through the 19th. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if you guys aren't familiar with square one it's a design conference um it's it's pretty heavily based off the instagram community so i you know i've been to the past two and they've been a fun experience um but i wanted to give a quick little uh i guess i don't know ask or like spread the word kind of thing and just like hey if you find yourself talking to another minor detailer or do we call them minor detailers we've never really come up with a word no, we haven't. Um, all I'm saying is, like, just spread the word. You know? MDs. If people, we could we could call ourselves doctors. <laughs> oh, we could. Yeah. MD. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor. Um, you know, spread the word. If you find someone that also likes podcasts, just say, "Oh, hey, check out this podcast." My details. Yeah. So October seventeenth is the start. Okay, it's in San Francisco. The uh, so it's a bit of a trek for us. The New reason, Yorkers. well, the reason that I'm unable to go is because I'm I'm presenting at the Thought at Work conference. Oh, okay. At RIT. Yeah. So that's, I will that's be this next week too. Yeah, that okay. w- that's this next week, and I I'm going to be I think I'm going to be presenting on Friday. Um. But I'll be there all weekend. Do you know what your talk's going to be about? I think it's... I'm still, you know, refining right. my sketching on the go type thing. I okay. might incorporate some of the recent things that I've been exploring, which is sketching in notes. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, it's, it is something like... It is something that I'm passionate about is, is just the whole mindset around sketching with what you have not sketching when it's optimal right yeah i mean uh, yeah i like your talk about that so so um, anyway yeah uh, so i'll be out there let me know if you're going to be out there and uh you know maybe hopefully i can spread the word about minor details and also find some doctors in okay the, in the audience <laughs> some mds yeah cool cool um all right uh quick little promotion segment here we have our pins, we still have plenty. So if you like one, you can find it on our website, minordetailspodcast.com. Um, yeah, you know, it's a good way to support the podcast. And then uh, also, we want to give a special thanks to our partner, Let's Design Daily, who hey help, helps promote the podcast. We do some cross promotion with them. And if you aren't following Let's Design Daily, follow them on Instagram. Um, and they also have a website, uh, designdaily.in. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, this past week we went to the Core 77 conference, the third wave and yes, we did. And it was definitely a wave. It was a wave. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know, James, I don't know what your just general overarching thoughts on it was. It was definitely for me, I felt that this conference was quite different than past conferences for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, I didn't. I, I don't even. 
I've heard third wave used in coffee terminology. I'm not even sure what it meant in this scenario, but <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, the the way the what I've heard is that the third wave is like, uh, in in coffee terms, the third wave is like a, the third. It's like a refinement of something. Okay, or like a rethinking of something. So, uh, it's used in coffee. So the first wave in coffee was discovering coffee like mm-hmm. you know wherever coffee was discovered south south america wherever um second wave was the commoditization of coffee okay so that's the folgers that's when it became a an actual thing that everyone drank yeah and then the third wave was this rethinking of coffee in an artisanal way right and that's when the coffee shops popped up you get all your you know gourmet coffee and uh, i see stuff like that i mean i've heard it in regards of like third wave feminism there's there's like different yeah there's different movements so it's like a it's like the a movement of rethinking is that it's like or yeah is it just a or, movement in general or it's just i guess there is with f- feminism there's like just different yeah like sort of marking out different mm. time periods within the movement and especially when yeah like things things are things are changing within that movement or they're advancing within that movement in a particular kind of way or using a new technology or approaching a new problem. Okay. Just like in terms of a, a wider movement than just like a few individuals, like a push. Okay. Would this mean that there could be a fourth wave? I think there, I think in feminism there, there is considered to be a fourth wave going on right now. Okay. So there's consecutive waves. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if it was like a terminology or if it was just a numbering. Yeah. Something. But, um, but yeah, when it, when it comes to the third wave conference, I mean, the thing is, is that like core 77 is kind of declaring a third wave. I don't know if in the design community, if there was any talk of a third wave, but it seems like they're declaring a third wave. And so in going into the conference, I was kind of like preparing myself for, for maybe some controversy for maybe some, you know, some call to action. Right. Like it, it, that's, that was the general tone that I was picking up on. Yeah. So like in contrast to last year's, I mean, last year's conference was all about entrepreneurial, start your own thing, start your own business. You know, how how do you make your own products? And then this year was much more around the idea of, you know, sustainability or, or the save the world topics. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I don't, I'm not much of a planner, so I just was like, I bought my ticket, and I was just like, yeah, I know, I know, other people will be there. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing with with any of these conferences, and especially within New York and the kind of small industrial design community here. It's also just like a chance. It's like a family reunion. Yeah, it's like a for way sure. for us to all to to get together and connect um, and meet people. Although it has been dubbed that we are we are IDSB, <laughs> we like us. As in you and me and the minor details kind of thing, uh, uh, we are IDSB. We are we are the Brooklyn uh, counterpart or the adversary to IDSA. So the Industrial Design Society of Brooklyn. Yes. So we have to credit James Krause with that dubbing, but oh, uh, yeah, we are the IDSB. Yeah. Um. So we're we're uh, gaining members. Gaining members, come join our membership program. <laughs> All you gotta do is buy a buy pen. A pen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, so so Nick, what were your expectations going into the day, and and what were some standout? Yeah, I mean, speakers I, for you. I mean, generally, like like I said, I didn't really have any expectations. I kind of looked over it, but was just more there, just have fun and and hang out. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think. The first, or I mean, I think she might have been the second speaker. I think uh, her name was Liz Jackson. Yeah, let me see. I've got the official schedule right here. Um, so Liz Jackson, she's the founder of something called the Disables. She no, she was she was after the first break. Okay, so she was about she was like mid morning four or five speakers in. Okay, because um, uh, I remembered it was after John Maida's mm. talk and she called out John Maida. <laughs> during her talk well i i this 
Liz is the most memorable speaker because she was um, she was pretty bold. Yes. Um, definitely uh, had a lot of opinions and, and thoughts. Um, so she was the, she's the just generally <laughs> opinions and thoughts. I, I you know I, I think I think she had a lot a of word? thoughts what's around sort of the the typical. She's very passionate. The thing that I kind of I guess I secretly enjoyed about her talk because because uh, I don't think I would ever. Well, now I'm kind of broadcasting it, but she challenged the sort of like. IDO, Design MIT, like kind of the, is it stalwart? Is that the, is that the term? Is that the correct term? Mm, I'm not sure. Stalwart. Probably. I, I sometimes use, use, uh, words that you don't know. Words that I don't know. Absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah. It sounds like a good word. Uh, I think. Give us a definition. What's a, what's a well, stalwart? No, I don't think that's it. Okay. Uh, no, like kind of the, the big. The institution. The, the big guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The institution. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think generally that I think the one uh, story she told that kind of sums up her personality was she I, I believe she's done a TED talk, which I need to watch. But uh, Liz Jackson actually got kicked out or she she mentioned she got correct me if I'm wrong. She mentioned she got kicked out of the TED circle after she did a TED talk. Just just, you know, just based on her uh vocalizing a lot of her more uh just vocalizing a lot of her opinions on the like institution and things like that right um but yeah i mean i agree i i enjoyed the fact that she was saying like this whole design thinking thing she was calling out design thinking she was also uh she was also talking a lot about the designing for like uh disabled people yeah and, and calling calling out that yeah like the fact, I think, kind of what she was trying to say, she, she was a little bit all over, all over the place where I can remember, but she was saying that, like, as designers, we're always trying to des- design for disabled people, and what we really need to be doing is let the disabled people design. Or designing with them. Right. Well, it was, she she brought up the term design thanking, as if, like, it was this, this thing that a lot of these organizations yeah. do, which is, like, they pass down these these solutions, and it's kind of like... You're welcome, right, for doing all of this work. Yeah, and I, w- I mean, I would love to talk to her because I think like it could be a very lively discussion. Because she like she based in New York, she is based in New York, um, and I think like there were parts of it that I was that I was very much intrigued by. You know how she was she like calling out these the I guess the institutions, but there was a part of me that was like. You know, she was saying basically that these places take the learnings or the hacks of disabled people and then they transform them into products and they right. don't really bring... And they kind of sell them back in yeah. a way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I feel almost a little bit split on that because, yeah, yeah. because it's like, well, I feel like that's a lot of design. A lot of design is looking at looking at the way that people are interacting with the world and sometimes people come up with these hacks, but they are hacks and they're not anything that's been solidified into something that is widespread to a wider audience where it can be used and be useful. Yeah. But I can also see how there are a lot of these companies that maybe do these projects and do give themselves a pat on the back. And, and I think that's what she might be responding to. Yeah. That's definitely like what she was upset about. I was like, there are these companies that, you know, do the fancy prosthetic limb or whatever it is and say, oh, look at this, you know, world-changing design we're right. doing and then, you know, give themselves a pat on the back. Yeah. I also think, again, kind of like what you said, it was a little bit meta in a way. Yeah. Because it was like she was patting herself on the back <laughs> because she was calling out the other companies patting themselves right. on the back. So it was a little bit meta. I felt like it was, the whole conference is a little bit this way. It was a little bit almost, I don't know. There was a lot of tension. Yeah, guess, between a lot of the speakers. Yeah, I I did want to talk about another thing that she said. Um, I guess which kind of goes along with what we were just talking about is she coined this phrase pathological altruism. Oh yeah. Um, which again I guess is kind of this obsession with saving the world, but to a degree where you're not doing it 
for the people that you're trying to save anymore. Right. It's just kind of like you are going to the third world country and injecting some, you know, life straw, you know, world saving right. thing. To the, right. And you're not really realizing like, wait, what do they actually need here? Yeah. Did yeah. I tell you, did I ever told you a story about the, uh, the polluted river? I think I might have told this. I don't think I'll, so. I'll tell it again. But um, yeah, there was this story that I believe my professor Owen Foster told told us. He was like, yeah, uh, there was this village in a third world country that was, you know, their their water system was broken and they called a bunch of engineers in to fix it and to find solutions. And they were all thinking, well, we'll build some sort of fancy filtration system and, you know, we'll fix the problem that way. And then they decided to bring in some designers to look at the problem. Mm. And then the designers were like, well, where's the pollution coming from? Oh. And then they just went up the river and they found like a factory dumping, you know, oh. some, some runoff. Interesting. That's kind of, that's kind of like we talked, I talked about this a long time ago, which is like the five whys mm. mm-hmm. kind of thing where you're finding the root of a problem right. rather than like putting a bandaid on it. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was a really it was a really interesting talk and it was kind of the first one of the day that was just like it kind of jolted me awake because right. I was like, "Oh my gosh, like she's just she's just kind of called out one of the speakers in the audience." And I actually went on his which was John Maida, and I actually went on his Twitter later and saw that he had posted uh her and a quote from her as in like, "Hey, I like I recognize, like, I recognize what you're saying and I appreciate what you're saying, like, even though you're calling me out. Yeah. But it's like, even John Maida's talk was a lot about, like, how he has failed throughout his life. Yeah. And so, and I, wait, so John Maida. Yeah. Um, was the global, or is the global head of communica- computational design and inclusion at Automatic, yeah. which I'm not quite familiar with. Um but John Maida is a very significant figure in the world of graphic design. Okay. Um, I mean, I I know his work a bit, but w- one of the things that I I believe to be the the case with John Maida is he's one of the first graphic designers to really incorporate a lot of use of like code uh, into his graphic design work. Yeah, yeah. And so he he has a really interesting body of work of you know these kind of these kind of graphics oh kind of like fractal stuff yeah if okay. you're not if you're not on youtube um it's like a poster that starts out it's like a when you look at when you go to the eye doctor and you see like the big letters and then they all get really small at the bottom yeah it's like that but to the nth degree yeah so um that's kind of his significance within that but he's also gone on to do other things like become the like the dean of of RISD oh, okay. at one point okay. um yeah i know i know that he talked a little bit about uh getting getting put on blast by like clickbait yeah i think like fast company what did fast company say about him oh they said uh, <laughs> they like quoted him they as quoted him as saying design doesn't matter <laughs> but i mean that's that's any news yeah outlet. it's gonna do clickbait i mean even us we do clickbait the the cool thing I I did really enjoy his talk because he just talked about failure and talked about coming back from failure. Right. Um, And, you know, one other thing that I thought was really interesting was that he, at the beginning of the talk, he put a phone number up. I, yeah, I was going to say that too. And you could text him questions during during his talk, talk. which seems a little bit uh, disruptive to his talk. In my in my opinion, but I don't know. It actually turned out quite nice. I thought. I thought, like there was only maybe a handful of questions that people texted him. Right. But they were good questions. Yeah. No. Well. Okay. So to correct something, he was the president of of RISD. Okay. Um, and and he he said that at one point he got a vote of no confidence from the school from the school. Oh dear. Um, and so yeah, he was talking about talking about failure and talking about um just like basically like getting back up yeah and and going again i mean uh so yeah uh, yeah i mean <laughs> if if you get a vote of confidence from your school that they have no confidence in you i mean that's that's harsh yeah that's pretty harsh um but yeah he uh he also started his presentation by saying all of my mentors are dead so he's you know he's getting into old age he's a veteran 
you know, he's a, he is a veteran. And so now he's trying to give back as yeah. much as he can. I think the one thing that I remember more distinctly about him is just the way he presented. Like, right. it, like yeah, he had a good message, but the whole texting thing was interesting. Yeah. I thought that was unique. And then also, I don't know if you caught this or not. You know, he, he was doing his presentation and his presentation, you know, he had his slides up there. It was kind of in blocks, I believe. Like he had like kind of distinct blocks of whatever topic he was talking about. Maybe he talked about this topic for five minutes. Yeah. Whatever it was, failure or whatever. And he would get to the end of the block and then he'd start a new block. Yeah. A new block. And it felt like at the at a certain point he was like, oh, and now I'm out of time. Thank you, everyone. That's the end of my, that's the end of my uh, talk. But I was like, wait, it doesn't feel like there was an arch to the story. It felt like there was three mini stories. Right. And I kind of feel like he probably had more blocks lined up to talk about. Real, that's like, how it felt to me. Like he would have just gone as long as right. Like he he had an as hour as far long. as he could get into the program like, into like, the speech. Like he could talk for an hour about a topic of five minute topics. Yeah, and like he just it was like a responsive speech. Yeah, which I'm just guessing. That's how it felt. Like that's the my first impression. Yeah. Um. But when I thought about it, it seemed like an interesting way to design a talk. Right. I mean, the, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It, am I correct in that the last thing that he was talking about was be, be proud that you're T-shaped? Right. And it felt a little bit like, oh, he could have gone on about that. Yeah. But he was like, oh, that's my time. Yeah. And then he, he cut it off. Yeah. No, that was, that was interesting. Yeah, it was, it was, it did seem very abrupt. You need some insider info. But I did appreciate, I did appreciate the be proud that you're T-shaped. Yeah. Because I feel like right now everybody is trying to be. I? Uh, or just not, horizontal? Or a horizon line. Right. For those an are, infinite horizon line. I, I think most people are familiar with T-shape, but T-shape means that you have one long, like a capital T, you have one long uh, kind of broad expertise, and then you focus in on one thing that's really narrow and it goes really deep. Yeah. But I do want to share the article that he shared with us. I think it's John Gardner PBS something self renewal. Yeah. He mentioned this article a couple times and I have yet to read it, but um, it was on like PBS.org. Oh yeah. Oh shoot. Um, and yeah, I think it's just this article that if you are down in the, down in the dirt, you know, you took a fall, just read this article. That's what he was saying. Just read it and it'll it'll bring you Pers- back up to speed yeah personal renewal personal i think renewal. is i think is the talk yeah. or the the article that he talked about um so yeah i haven't checked it out yet but i'm sure i'll fail yeah. sometime soon so i'll have to i'll have to pick it up <laughs> i'm sure there's someone listening that could get a good read out of this yeah so. um so who else stood out um well i think another person that stood out to me was so I guess in contrast to Liz Jackson, well, not in contrast. Um, so, you know, Liz Jackson got up there on stage and started calling out a lot of people. And she also was calling out design schools too. I don't yeah. know if you remember this. She was like, we're, we're misleading people. Yeah. Like you can't go into design schools and start saying that, hey, you're going to save the world with design. She, I, I don't, that's not verbatim. I'm not exactly what she said, but that's the feeling I got. She yeah. was like, design schools are misleading people. Right. Um, but I really like this one lady, not because like I enjoyed her work or her speech or anything, but (laughs) (laughs) well, she did a good speech. She did good. Not because I enjoyed anything about anything. Let let me, that she was doing. Let me finish my statement. (laughs) Um, see, this is what happened. This is what happened to John Mayda. They're going to go up on FASCO and be like, minor details said, (laughs) said this. Um, if we got on FASCO, then, you know. We'd be yeah, that'd be amazing. We're famous. I mean, I don't, I don't even care if Fastco just drags us through the mud. That'd yeah. be awesome to just be up, be up there. Um, all right, so there's this lady that got up there. Her name was Suzanne Desroches, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and she is the deputy director, infrastructure and energy, New York City's mayor's office of recovery and resilience and office of sustainability. Yeah, quite a quite a mouthful. I think yes. that might have actually been several jobs, but um, the reason I liked her is that she got up on stage and she started talking about uh design or or saving the world in the way that that 
that I feel like people want to actually save the world this way, right? but they're stuck on design. Yeah. Um, you know, in short, she worked for the, I believe, New York Transit Department or something where... MTA? I don't know if it's the MTA. I think it's the company that owns MTA. Okay. So it's like above. Like this government organization controls all the tunnels, controls the building of all the, you know, all the bridges, all the infrastructure in New York City. You know, she talked about um, energy, like bringing down energy from like Niagara Falls and Canada. Um, But what I liked about her is like she was talking about how, you know, she worked on this project for like five years about how do we build buildings in New York City? Yeah. How are we going to build buildings for the next hundred years to come? Yeah. And so she her job was to research this and research all the sustainability efforts and, you know, all the, the global warming and, uh, you know, that, that whole area and implement some sort of guideline. Yeah. And her deliverable deliverable for this thing was a word document, <laughs> she, which I just appreciate so much because we're visual learners. So like she gets on the stage and she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have like sexy sketches or sexy renders to show you. Here's a word document. Yeah. And her word document contains like some bullet points of guidelines and then also just a graph of like, all right, now, you know, engineers have to build their buildings 18 inches off the ground for the future of, you know, sea level rise and stuff like that. So yeah, I just appreciate her being super transparent in actually showing like an initiative because now all the engineers that build in New York City have to follow these guidelines. Right. Like she was part of the government you know organization so yeah this is going to be implemented and this is the quote-unquote save the world type of design which is really not traditional design at all right it's just more of like a you know documentation operational type of guidelines yeah yeah i just i just really appreciate that because i feel like people in school get caught on this save and we're diving down into the save the world hole i know (laughs) we should bring reed back on just to get have his counterpoint but um, yeah, it's like, I wish students would realize that, that they're like, if they really are passionate about it, like there might be better avenues yeah, to actually make an impact. Right. And I don't want to get caught up on the fact either that I feel like if you love industrial design and that's what you're passionate about, then you should pursue it. And yeah, you might not be able to you know, change the entire New York city building code. Right. But you can make small improvements every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other, the other side of that, and I was talking to some friends the other night about it is I do think that startups can be sort of game changers within industries or, you know, like, like companies. And, and this is not necessarily like startup, but I guess at one point it was, but Tesla, yeah. Like mm-hmm. Tesla has been a game changer in the auto industry. Yeah. And, and just, just general. I so mean, like you got SpaceX and solar. And for me, the interesting part about Tesla is that, you know, you have some designers there and the designers, they, as far as I know, they purely focused on making a really hot electric vehicle, right. which basically made everybody else say, Oh, it's not just a gimmick. Yeah, I want this thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, but yeah, I, that was a very like practical talk. It was just very like, here's the straight facts. Yeah. Like, stop, stop messing around with your, you know, 3D models and acting like you're saving the world. Here's what I actually did. Yeah. You can do it, or you don't want, you don't have to do it, but don't, don't be on both sides of the line. Right. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. And so I, I just admire that fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. Also, another talk that I think you might have resonated with. Oh, yeah. Uh, was from Jerome Harris. Yeah. Who it, who talked about modernism. It, yes. <laughs> and uh, it was, the talk was called Against, but in the Spirit of Modernism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did resonate with me because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently it when was, it comes to modernism and minimalism. And also, Jerome Harris is, a, I believe, a graphic designer, right? Yeah. He worked at a housing works or he's the design director at housing works currently mm-hmm. um but yes i know that you have talked quite a bit around your idea around 
the that minimalism and modernism are almost stale in a way i feel like they're inhumane inhumane yeah i feel like they prioritize and this is this is my feeling about a lot of things is they prioritize like you know in terms of architecture in terms of design i think they prioritize utility and economy over over people yeah and and i don't I think that we've been drained of any sort of aspiration when it comes to design. I think it's changing. I mean, postmodernism is certainly you I mean, know, doing doing something. I feel like we're definitely on on a swing out from yeah. from minimalism. Um, I don't know where we're going. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be postmodernism or something akin to that. But. Yeah, I mean, I think. Of course, it makes a lot of sense in terms of just like the economics of things. I think right now we're in this area where we're just seeing all of these startups. And right. one of the things that, you know, Jerome talked about was startups and like he, I think he called it m- millennial min- minimalism. Yeah, millennial minimalism. And where and, all the startups look exactly the same. Like yeah. you could literally change the 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 name of the startup and the color and you right. have a new brand right it's all like sans serif like simple logos yeah so i mean i think that that's a good observation the thing is is that there you know there's so much in play there there's like there are companies startups that are looking to make waves but also at the same time not trying to dissuade anybody from using their product or turn people off from using their product. And so they use the international style. I mean, that is minimalism. That's modernism. It's the international style. It's something that pretty much everybody has become accustomed to in terms of graphic design. And And you think think that's because it's just stripped of its ornamentation, that there is nothing to uh, be um, passionate about? I mean, we kind of talked about this, I feel like, previously, but the fact that there's nothing there means that you can't have a strong feeling either way toward it. I, I, yes. I or think, that you can put your, you can project your own feelings onto right. it. I think it basically what it's doing is just like you would do something in a sort of, sort of minimal way with a product when you're not trying to, uh, when you're trying to appeal to a broader audience. Like you're just looking to other people and saying like, what are they doing? Because mm. that's the, that's the route to success. Yeah. But there's any more, there's nothing really other than the only thing that I can find that's based in culture anymore is shoe design. Mm. Like that's really the only thing that I see as in terms of like a big industry. Right. And so like everything is adopting this sort of international style where it's like, where did that come from? Like, I, like, I don't know. Could have been Ikea. It could have been from Target. It could have been, you know, <laughs> it's like... It's all the same, yeah, yeah. Everything sort of melds, like, just, yeah, indistinguishable in terms of culture. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think that that's a loss. There's, there's just, like, a loss of layers of meaning within things. And, like, I, I think it, a lot of it has to do with economics, because yeah, people want to sell their goods and they want to sell, they want to get to market quickly. And the best way to do that is with a very minimal modern approach. Right. So yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I, I very much resonated with what Jerome is yeah. saying. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed his talk as well. I, I think the structure of his talk was interesting. I'm not, I wasn't entirely sure. His structure was also just, it stood out from the other talks just because it was. It kind of felt like uh, the Star Wars beginning credits, where it's like a scrolling yeah. screen of words. Yeah. And he was reading the words in a way, or yeah. he was like paraphrasing the words, which was interesting. I don't know if I enjoyed that technique as much. Yeah. But he definitely had some good points. He also clarified in the middle of his talk. He said, "I use grids," <laughs> and and I mean, I think that there is something to minimalism and modernism in that like 
it it enables you to make sense of things right quickly right like if everything was art nouveau it would be more difficult to navigate yes for sure you know yeah, yeah. whereas life is complex these systems that we engage with are complex and so to remove that complexity can mean a better experience or just a, an experience where you can more easily engage with the things that are around us but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's a rich experience right you know yeah i mean i guess i've been thinking about this a little bit with kind of as i've been writing the familiarism thing is like i feel that familiarism specifically works well when it's on something simple yeah something that is stripped of ornamentation stripped of any embellishments and highlights the interaction solely right. and i mean that's the basis of the idea but um yeah i feel like the maybe it's not that we're going to be adding more ornamentation in it's maybe we're going to be adding the experience over it yeah we'll see what happens yeah i mean that yeah I think I think with familiarism you have you have layers. Mm -hmm. There's sort of there's sort of a depth of exploration and discovery. But uh but yeah, I mean I don't know. I think that there are of course aspects of minimalism and modernism that are going to carry on. I just think that they need to evolve because cause, I think, you know. I think it's happening. I think for sure. Yeah. We're we're on the upswing. Yeah. Um <laughs> anyway another another speaker that we really enjoyed was francois win mm -hmm. he's the creative director of frog yeah i feel like we've definitely mispronounced his name in the past uh probably <laughs> i yeah i think we did do the um uh francois also was working on the anum earbud yeah that was a couple episodes back where it's like a, a hoop that goes around and you know it's it's just as a unique earbud wireless earbud design more right. conceptual right um i really enjoyed his talk and i think this is something that we were starting to touch on in the beginning of this episode but he talked about comfort comfort right and why why are we designing for comfort and should we be designing for comfort and really like what is the cost of comfort yeah i know there was a few examples that he talked about like um you know, the one I, I believe first example, he was like, well, first of all, he played, I believe the, the sitar guitar. What did he play? He was just playing a guitar. Was it guitar <laughs> or was it a sitar? It was like, a no, what a, is a sitar, sitar is a far more complicated instrument okay. than what he was. I mean, it's, it's just a very different kind of instrument. He was playing like a nylon string guitar. Okay. It sounded unique to me. So I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'll say some some other type of instrument. I'm not I'm not an instrument. Boy. That's a yeah, that's a complicated. That's a that's a ten dollar word. What's that saying? A uh, fifty cent word. Fifty cent word. Dollar word. Dollar word. It depends on the exchange rate. <laughs> um, he taught. I think the first example was he talked about this story, and I I can't recall the origins of it, but you know back, you know mid. 20th century they had this experiment where they put an entire uh neighborhood inside a glass dome oh the the biosphere the biosphere yeah you was don't it, know there's also there's, was it mid 20th century I there's don't know. a there's a comedic movie from the 90s called biosphere i mean it's which is, it's based, certain, which is based on the project it's certainly a good uh movie i don't know sure. that it was a neighborhood i th yeah well they might have created a neighborhood they didn't just like <laughs> drop a glass dome on top of a neighborhood. <laughs> that would be a better experiment, to be honest. Um, anyways, the idea behind the biosphere was that you put everything that you need in this dome. Right. You know, get get your agriculture in there, get your farming animals. Get your agriculture in there. You know, get get everything that you need to sustain get life. Going. And then, you know, see how long life can live. It's a cool looking thing. I think it eventually, I forget why it, it didn't work out. Uh i i think, was there an ending to the story i don't i don't recall but the, the, there was an en there was a point to his yeah. story about talking about the uh francois the, the point to francois uh talk was he, he talked about how after the biodam biodome was under a biodam the biodam <laughs> the bio biodome was um 
I guess, uh, turn, turned off or whatever. I don't know. I, this thing's so odd to me. Um, the trees died. Yeah. And not because they didn't survive in the biodome, um, but because there was no wind. And trees actually need wind to create uh, a structure. So all the biodome trees fell over because once the dome was uncovered, the wind just blew them straight over. I don't think the wind, I don't think the dome was ever uncovered. Okay, well, I, I, that, the point <laughs> I think of the they story, just fell over. The point of the story is that there needed to be friction yeah. in the system in order for the trees to yes. sustain themselves. So a little bit of history here. The biosphere was, a. this is from Wikipedia. The biosphere two was originally meant to demonstrate the viability mm. of closed I'm ecolog- about the bi- biosphere one, ecological James. systems <laughs> to support and maintain human life in outer space. Oh, is an outer space mission? Okay. I wonder if Elon Musk is uh, building in wind, wind machines into his biosphere on Mars. Yeah, interesting. Um, that's yeah, that's actually quite interesting. Yeah. They well, so they ran into problems, including low amounts of food and oxygen. That's right. They ran out of oxygen. Okay. Uh, yeah. So die-offs of many animals and plants included in the experiment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, but regardless, I just enjoyed Francois's examples of this idea that we should introduce friction back into the equation. Right. Um, I mean, he even talked about astronauts. And how they have to, it's mandatory for them to exercise two yeah. hours, I believe two hours Yeah, a day. Because otherwise, when they come back to earth, they just melt. Yeah, they just crumble. <laughs> just be like jelly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he had a lot of like really nice little like tidbits here and there of like, you know, humans are naturally wired for gloss because oh, of yeah. our search for water yeah. and for precious metals. That's That was interesting. So when uh, you make something glossy and shiny... Yeah. Oh, and you also talked about um, rounded. rounded. Yeah, the rounded rectangle. rectangle, where apparently Steve Jobs took the designer or engineer out to the parking lot and showed him the the no parking sign that right. had a rounded rectangle because a square, the way that your brain perceives a square is line, 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 line. Right. Whereas the rounded rectangle, it's sort Continuous. of... Yeah, glides around the outside. So it's just easier to process. I also think there might be something to the fact that sharp Sorry. sharp corners are scary. I think there's probably some, some innate thing there. I don't know if he talked about that or I'm just speaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just... Right. You're just speaking your internal fears. <laughs> uh, but yeah... There was there was a lot of good stuff in there, and and he um, he kind of laid out this graph, which was, uh, and and I'm gonna just like put this graph up on the YouTube, but basically, it was a graph to optimize and your, it's your skill versus challenge, and the the lo- the lower amount of skill, the higher amount of challenge, that's anxiety, right, and then. Higher amounts of skill, low amount of challenge is boredom, obviously. Right. And in the middle is what a lot of people talk about is that flow state mm-hmm. where you're just... You're in the zone. You're in the zone. Yeah. And so he, like you don't want to be too... You don't want to be too challenging that you're just like freaked out and you can't do anything. But you also don't want to be too boring that it's just like, oh, I don't want to do this. Right. You got to have that right amount of challenge. And you also have to match your skill set to that challenge. Yeah. But he's definitely wanting to push things higher into that anxiety area. I think that's where you get stuff done. Yeah, for sure. You got to have some of that anxiety. To get I love. I love that. We need this tomorrow. <laughs> you can't even think about it. You just got to do it. Yeah. It. It sometimes is what you need. Sometimes. Um. And then I think there was one more talk that that both of us were really interested in, which was from Playlab. Yeah, Playlab is. It's hard to really describe the studio, but just generally a design studio. Um, and the speaker was Archie, Archie Lee Coates. The, the fourth. fourth. The fourth. Whew. Um, uh, Virginia Tech alumni. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Did you talk to him or no? I did not okay. get a chance to. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people we wish we could talk to. Maybe we'll get some people on here that get some of the speakers on the podcast. Some That'd... of these are located in New York, right? Yeah, for sure. We should reach out to some of these people. Um, but yeah, I thought his talk was interesting. I mean, it was definitely great just because I think he centered his talk a little bit 
uh, it was like refreshing, right? Right. We went through this whole day and we were like, oh, we're so sad because, you know, we're not saving the world. Right. And, <laughs> and Archie gets up there and he's like, you know what, guys? Let's just make cool stuff yeah. with each other. <laughs> well, it was like, hey, let's make cool stuff, but also recognize it takes a long time sometimes to make really cool stuff. Yes. So if you guys aren't are not aware of this project, I remember this back when it was on um kickstarter which was the plus pool right and i thought it was dead and it's art- been like 10 years yeah for this project to be become a, a thing it's not even a thing yet but or, but yeah. they just got approval for it they just got approval i yeah archie was yeah explain this for people that aren't familiar with plus pool so plus pool the whole idea behind plus pool was to put it in the east river and so this is a floating pool floating pool that filters the water in the east river so that the water in the pool is river water but you're able to swim in it right so you don't even have to fill it up you just you just drop it in and it already fills up with clean water yeah so um and it's shaped like a plus nine really cool idea and i thought it was dead in the water i will say like (laughs) (laughs) james we gotta cut that out (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, I really admire the fact that they've pursued this for this long. I'm sure that it's a pain to work with New York City government trying to get a floating pool in the river. Can you believe that? For sure. Like putting a a pool in the river next to Manhattan or Brooklyn. I'm not sure where it's going to be located. I think it's in Brooklyn. Is it off the Brooklyn side or Manhattan I think it's off the Brooklyn side. Um, So I'm sure there's a lot of logistical and, and... regulation stuff that had to go into this definitely um but yeah it was cool and he i mean he also just kind of like it was really interesting retrospect on retrospective on just like the work that he's done so far he was very like rapid fire going through everything that he's done in the past nine years yeah i thought the i thought that rapid fire thing was also just an interesting talking technique yes because he just literally so showed slides three seconds a slide yeah just named what it was yeah sometimes he even he didn't even have a name which is funny he was like, <laughs> I, just, I just made this thing and he kept going and people, yeah people got a kick out of that it was great yeah i thought i thought it was a great way for us to kind of close that conference so, well it was a great way for us to rev up to the final which was then paula antonelli right and she was she was the big yeah she was the big draw she was the big ticket right she's the senior creator the moma yeah um so. and uh she had an interesting talk just about it's called broken nature and they put on an exhibit in italy and it was basically like wasn't it like kind of after the af like kind of the aftermath of all the climate change yeah kind of stuff i think what was interesting about her talk and what she's done in the past is that she has more of the viewpoint of hey we're gonna die anyway let's yeah. make it beautiful right which is definitely again kind of in contrast to some of the other speakers mm-hmm. and probably in contrast to most people that would think about this it's like civilization is going to end right it yeah we might be speeding it up or we could slow it down yeah regardless of what you think it's going to end one day right and how do we make that beautiful yeah so i don't know it was, it was poetic in a way and obviously she curated a bunch of amazing pieces that were in this exhibition and yeah so it was great. I mean, it was uh, like I was going into the conference kind of kind of afraid that I was going to leave it feeling like I was ruining the world. Right. Well, there was a little bit of that feeling. Like I, midday, I felt that way. I, I, think it, I think it looked back up at the end. I think I prepared myself for it uh, enough. See, I, didn't, I didn't prepare myself at all. Because it's the third wave. I was like, they're definitely going to scold me. <laughs> personally now now and, james and they did this jackson was like is james connors here james connors can he stand up this is what he's done james i saw you make those bad clips <laughs> uh but i actually left it feeling like okay that was that was actually like the right level of provocative yeah and not it wasn't demonizing like the audience at all yeah it was just provoking them to think about things a little bit differently yeah for sure yeah i i agree i think i mean 
I generally liked the past conferences more just because I think it was more relevant to what I am interested in. Right. But I think this conference had a completely different value that I don't get a lot. And it's just that other side of design that we often just toss away. Yeah. We really should think about more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do appreciate, you know, Liz Jackson and some of the other speakers that were a little bit more provocative um, just giving that balance back to the crowd. Yeah. Cause certainly there was a few like panels and things that where it was a little bit like rah, rah, save the world. And I was like, ah, I'm not sure. Mm. Panel panels are hard just in general. Panels are difficult, especially given the time constraints yeah. for the panels. But yeah. Yeah. It was good. To, it was good also to just hang out and meet people too. Absolutely. We, you know, I, it was really nice that we had a couple doctors in the audience, yeah. a couple minor detailers, <laughs> some MDs yeah. that that came came over and and introduced themselves, yeah, yeah. and you know, it's always a treat to like get to meet some people that have been listening to the podcast and are enjoying it, and Definitely. you know, we can kind of kind of start a new conversation pretty quickly, like just uh, just getting to know one another. So for sure. Cool. Should we, do we have time for questions or should we go to the, I, I think out? we should just wrap it up. Um, so this week I wanted to shout out, uh, at the Chris do, and that's the Chris and then D O. Um, and apparently I guess everyone knows about this person except for me. I found this person, <laughs> like this guy, like a couple, maybe a week ago. Right. And he, I believe is an educator, Maybe he his background's in graphic design, maybe? I'm not entirely sure. Um, um, I'm, yeah, I believe so. He's, he's a, in his uh, bio, it says entrepreneur, educator, agitator. Agitator. All right, good word. Um, Let's, yeah. But I enjoy, enjoy his uh, Instagram slides because it's not, you know, he's not like posting logos or whatever. It's like he's posting slideshows of uh, entrepreneurial kind of, questions right so so some of the slides are like how do you price yourself and it's super easy to read it's like here is how you price yourself hourly and it's one you know it's one slide post and you go through and it's like price yourself hourly based on these things and it's like how do you price yourself project based or like how do you do this or how do you talk to your client about money or how do you you know i don't know it's it's super bite-sized chunks of really helpful information right especially for people that are entrepreneurials or um, freelancers starting out just trying to understand the the business side of design for sure and so i've just been like eating this up it's been good stuff yeah it's uh it's a lot of good content he also has a lot of videos on his youtube channel where he's you subscribe talking, to his YouTube? Talking to students, huh? You you watch his YouTube? Yeah. I'm uh, just so on. He's talking to students <laughs> or he's talking to professionals. Actually, Derek Elliott, uh, the the um, animator, our friend Derek, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's the one who first turned me on to Chris Dew. The, the YouTube channel is called The Future. Uh, and that's okay. Future without, without an E. Mm-hmm. Um, Got that because, in, vibe. because in the future we'll have optimized out of of using ease <laughs> um but uh but yeah so um there's a lot of interesting content on there and and a lot of good things i would say for freelancers especially yeah um yeah but yeah looks like this guy's got he's even got a a, gra- a diploma for graphic design from high school so he's a what? deep how do you deep get a- <laughs> Graphic designer. Yeah, we did not have a choice in my high school. You got a high school degree. There was no specializing. Yeah. Um, yeah, check him out at Chris, the Chris Do on Instagram. At the Chris Do. Um, and yeah, uh, you guys know what to do. Subscribe on some Apple Podcasts. Do it. Google Podcasts. Do it. Spotify. Do it. YouTube. Do it. Click the bell. Do it. Um, tell your friends. Hey, tell your mom. Tell your mom too. Uh, and... Always uh, thanks to Kyoshi the Kid for the amazing intro and outro. Oh, yeah. And I believe that's it for this week. That is it. As always, I'm at Nick P. Baker. I'm at I Draw on Receipts. Peace. Later.